Welcome to Harvest Time. My name is Chris Harper, and our host on this program is Pastor Gary Walton, the pastor of Harvest Baptist Church. Each week on this program, we have the opportunity to tell the stories of our church as we often feature interviews with our members and other friends of the ministry. Of course, we'd like to invite you to join us this weekend at Harvest Baptist Church as we begin Sunday morning, 9.30 a.m. with our Adult Bible Fellowships and Children's Programs. Our morning service this week, 10.30 a.m., The Mega Church, Part 2, from Acts chapter 6, verses 12 through 42. Let's begin today's Harvest Time by welcoming Pastor Gary Walton. Hi, Pastor. Hoffa day, Chris. This Sunday, we're going to be looking at the last part of Acts chapter 5 at our 1030 service. And we'd invite anybody that's listening that doesn't have a church home, we'd love to have you come and join us. Uh, It's an awesome time together with God's people. We'll worship Him joyfully and excitedly, and then we'll spend time just digging into God's Word and trying to discern what God's Word has to say for us. Along with with our series in Acts that we're calling Pursuing Our Mission, we're coming up on the the last half of Acts chapter 5. Last week we had to look, well, God brought us to a text that's fairly solemn, The first few verses of chapter 6 has a story about Ananias and Sapphira. We don't have time to back up to that. But I do want to back up to first or the last part of chapter 4 a few weeks ago. We were talking about the megachurch. I mean, that's what we're coming back to, part 2 here on Sunday morning. But uh, part 1 was looking at Acts chapter 4 and actually bringing it out of verse 33, where it talks about that early church having great power— and then great grace. And we talked about the idea that that word great in the, in the original language is a word that we're familiar with, mega or megas. And so that was what we used to talk about the mega church. But really it's just talking about a great church and the characteristics of what a great church, a mega church, ought to be biblically. Well, interestingly enough, when we get into Acts chapter 5 this last week, we have another occurrence of that mega word. But it's not about power, it's not about grace. It actually says in two different places in Acts chapter 5, verse 5, and then again in verse 11, it says great fear came upon the whole church. And the interesting thing about that is all three occurrences of the great idea were all positive. So it's not like great power, great grace, you know, this is really awesome. And then in chapter 5, great fear, oh no, this is bad. They're actually all positive. So the fear that came to the church was something that God wanted for them that helped them to, it really moves forward in a purity that comes in the body of Christ as it moves through Acts chapter 5, and then we're going to see again some persecution coming up. So, I mean, that's the point that we're going to look at this Sunday morning. When God is at work, people respond in different ways. We'll try to talk about that. But uh, God is working there. We want to we want to be a church like this. And, and what does that look like, you know, in our context? So that's what we're coming back to Sunday morning. Yeah, many times that word fear, yeah, in a right way, understood in a right way, correct from the Bible, particularly when it's about God, has a tremendous number of positive things built into it. Yeah, it's interesting because it right after it says great fear comes upon the people. Verse 14 says, 
and believers were the more added to the, to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. Yeah. Right? We would think the opposite would happen. I mean, right. if, if kind of our not understanding of what fear means, everybody would be running away. But in fact, the opposite happened because the fear of God produced a purity within the church that was attractive to everybody. And many, many people, believers, were more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women. That's our... That's our burden, too, that people would hear of the love of God, would understand what it means to fear God, and would be drawn to him. And uh, we think that's going to happen this Sunday as we gather together. Well, I'm really glad to have back for a second week Pastor Matt Vaughn with us. Matt actually came to us last week on Harvest Time, but by phone. We actually have him in studio, arrived on Guam last night. But welcome, Matt, to Guam, and welcome back to Harvest Baptist Church. Oh, it's great to be here. Looking forward to this discipleship seminar this weekend. Yeah, Matt's going to be part of, uh, actually he's going to be leading the keynote speaker for uh, three days of what we're calling discipleship seminar, starting, actually as we're talking, and we're in the middle of it. It began Friday night, it's beginning Friday night, Saturday, and then through Sunday, and uh, just talking about a number of uh, things in regard to discipleship and counseling. I want to ask you about that in a minute, but just for people that maybe don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Tell us about your family, where you're from, and you know, kind of what God's done in your life that's brought you to this place. My wife and I, her name's Esther. We've been married a little bit over 20 years. We celebrated our 20th anniversary last year. Uh, God's given us five wonderful children. Our oldest is 17. Our youngest is eight. And so we live in Denver, Colorado, and I work with Rocky Mountain Biblical Counseling Center there and uh, the director of the ministry and just help churches and then help individuals in the area, you know, work through some of the challenges that life brings their way. Yeah. And you said, how long have you been involved with Rocky Mountain Counseling? We started the Counseling Center in 2004. And so I guess 16 years. And over that time, you know, I guess this is not a good thing to say, but, you know, because the hearts of men are growing colder and darker and, and sin is more and more prevalent. And, you know, Colorado, they've legalized marijuana and it just seems to be so, I mean, such sin is a rampant. And so I have incredible opportunities to work with people where, frankly, their lives are being destroyed by the effects of sin. This weekend, we're calling a discipleship seminar, and uh, we believe that God's brought you here as a counselor to really help us in that area. We have some ideas about why the counseling connected with discipleship, but maybe from from your perspective, how would you see the connection of, of these two ideas? So I believe that everybody is worshiping or everybody is living for something. Mm. And whatever you're living for is going to kind of determine the quality of your life. And what you find is that if you're living for something that isn't ultimate, that it's going to disappoint you. It's going to frustrate you. If your whole life is about your marriage and your wife or your husband decides, I want to walk away, then then your life is going to be destroyed and devastated. Same thing, you know, children or career or whatever it is. So, one of my favorite passages in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, which talks about the love of Christ compels us, it controls us, it constrains us. And he talks about what Christ did for us. But he says there in verse 15, he says, he, he saved us so that we don't have to live for ourselves, mm. 
but we can live for him who died for us and then who rose again from the dead. And so when you begin to look and understand the dynamics of sin and what it does, how it how it really takes us in and implodes us into ourselves, mm-hmm. I think of what Paul says in, in Romans chapter 6, where he says, you were slaves of sin, and in that slavery to sin, you had shame, and that shame was leading to death. But now, because you've given your life to Christ and because you've given your heart to Christ, now you become servants of God. The fruit of your service to God is righteousness and holiness, and that leads to everlasting life. So when somebody comes and you understand the dynamic of discipleship and counseling, as you realize they have been living for some God that holds out a promise of life to them, and that God has disappointed them, or it, it will disappoint them. And so when, when you introduce them to Christ and say, here is who you were made for, and here is what Christ has done for you already, and now what Christ wants to do for you, it's just an incredible privilege to, mm-hmm. to open the Word of God and to see, see how God's Word addresses them and helps them, and then God's Spirit changes them. So it's just it's, it's, it's a tremendous privilege to deal with what I would call the fine china of people's lives. So counseling has the idea of you know, kind of coming alongside somebody, bringing perspective, truth. I think that's how most people would see it, perspective, truth, focus, you know, into a situation that seems unfocused or out of control maybe for the person. And, you know, discipleship, as we've been talking about it here, well, I think how the Bible describes it is, you know, both a sense of us personally as disciples of Christ and then this call, this mission that we've been given as followers of Jesus to to make disciples, make other disciples, which are fully committed followers of Jesus. So as we've been moving along and trying to fulfill God's call for us as a church, and 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 asking uh, you know ourselves, how do we help people, young Christians or maybe Christians who haven't grown? How do we help them grow in their Christian life? Uh, the idea of of uh, counseling them is sort of coming alongside them, bringing scriptural truth in that. Is that what you'd say? It totally. I mean, they're what what they are doing is depending on their background, depending on their family, uh, depending on you know what they've learned. Everybody is bringing an a, an interpretation and approach to life as yeah. far as what will make me happy, what is life about, what yeah. what is the meaning of life, and so when. When a person comes to Christ, now uh, you know, Paul says they're a new creation, and, and really they are, they are experiencing life as God designed it to be. Um, you do live in a broken world still. Mm-hmm. You still have sin that we struggle with as, as Christians. But now what you have is you have the, the Spirit's power, which is you're preaching through the book of Acts. You're seeing these people who are coming to Christ and the Holy Spirit's indwelling them. Yeah. And what a tremendous change that's making. But then as they're understanding what the Word of God says and then applying that, that's where, wow, th- this, is, this is a whole new life. This is, this is incredible. Last time we talked, you were on the phone uh, from Colorado, and we talked, uh, you know, just sort of introducing what you're coming to do. And we talked generally um, uh, about, uh, you know, just this place that the Scripture has in in the process of discipleship. Uh, But I'm wondering if we could, uh, this time, talk a little bit more specific. Um, 
and uh, maybe ask you some specific kinds of questions. I know these are the things that we're going to be dealing with this weekend, and I know you're giving a foundation for, you know, for this uh, this perspective of life. But, um, you know, maybe just to whet people's appetite or, or actually to help them as they're trying to process what's happening with them this week. So, you know, we have somebody that's a Christian, and um, they're trying to live for Christ, you know, at their work, so they're so they're telling people that they're Christians, trying to be a good testimony. And uh, they have somebody comes along, a friend of theirs, a coworker, who for whatever reason decides that, you know, maybe I can trust this Christian. And so they come to them and they say something like, um, you know, I've been really going through a difficult time in my life and, uh, and I, f- I feel like, and, you know, I, I don't even know if I want to keep living. I've I've contemplated suicide, or maybe, maybe it's not that. Maybe they're kind of struggling with depression and anxiety, but something along there. Uh, what kinds of things? And I know this would be a you know extensive conversation, but what kinds of things can we do biblically to help somebody that says I want to be a help to my friend, my coworker that's coming with these kind of really life dominating kinds of problems. So, so the first thing I would do is I would say you you love them, hmm. uh, which is probably if they're coming and telling you those deeper issues of life, uh, you've already been loving them, but but you continue to love them, and and so one of the ways that you love someone is is you continue to try and get to know more about them, and so you ask them questions. So in, anytime someone says, "I feel like dying," or "I feel like you know I, I don't want to live," that that that's incredibly serious. Right. You, you never want to just shrug that off or "Oh, you're just kidding." Um, what I what I normally do is there's a scale uh, that I think about where okay, somebody's saying, "Hey, you know, I'm, I'm struggling with something. I don't. I feel like I don't want to live," mm-hmm. versus you know going all the way up the scale where hey, I have a plan and I have a time frame and I have mm-hmm. an idea, and and so. It's, it's really tricky to evaluate where somebody is on that scale, and, and you go through a lot of counseling training. But you, you never want to take a statement like that um, lightly. And so, so if somebody says, um, hey, uh, you know, this is going on, you, you want to – what I would do is I would initially begin to ask questions. And, and the typical – the average person, as they begin to ask questions – and follow up, like, you know, tell me a little bit more about, you know, what's going on, or, or, or do you, I mean, wh- why would you say something like that? And, and, and as the person would begin to talk about what's happening, sometimes just having that person who cares is, an, is enough right. to help. It's but, a cry for help, for sure, right? Somebody to listen, no matter right. what. Yeah. But, but then there have been several times where I've either gotten with the person and I've said, hey, I, I want to follow up with you on this, or there has actually been multiple times where I've had to call the, the authorities, mm-hmm. and, and then they can evaluate, and they've taken people to the, the hospital, to the to psychiatric hospital. And you, you hate doing that. That's a really difficult thing to do uh, where you have a well visit. The, typically, you know, in Colorado, the, the police would show up at the house and you know they hey we're just concerned make sure you're doing doing well you know it's different questions about you know what type of means do you have to you know you know it's it's just there, there's questions that I ask personally but you never want to you know you you never want to take something that like like that lightly uh, someone says hey I'm I'm struggling with depression mm-hmm. um, depression can have a lot of different meanings. You know, for some people, if you look at the, the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Psychological Disorders, um, there's a lot of people who, you know, would say, yeah, I'm, I'm depressed, 
not fitting a medical description of depression, sure. but they're just going through a difficult time. Maybe, you know, um, extra bills or maybe relationship or something with the kids or maybe something health-wise. There are all different types of things. And so, again, asking questions and, and listening really carefully and really attentively is, is a way to love them, but then to begin to know and understand and say, okay, where is this person? Maybe they do need to see a medical doctor. Uh, maybe they do need to talk to somebody who's a little bit more trained than I am. Um, the simplest thing, which is some people would say, oh, that's, that's just silly, but it, it actually can mean a, a lot, is if you, if you say, you know, could I pray for you? Mm-hmm. And, and we're really just in the moment you would pray for them. And then maybe get their phone number if you don't have their phone number, but then follow up with them later that day or maybe the next day. Hey, I'm praying for you. I want to, you know, you, you've been talking about the EMT, the, you know, the mm. rescue squad type idea where sometimes you have to get someone to, uh, to a hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are other times where there's an injury that's going on where you can care for them and love them through this and ask them, hey, do you have help? Do you have a support system? That's where I think the church can come alongside. And it's, it's just, you know, the, the body of Christ is really beautiful in, in working through those things. You're telling, we were talking earlier and you just mentioned the reality that almost for anything that's, that's going on, there's a lot of things that are underlying. Um, so let's say you know, in this conversation, you, you come to the place where you realize that it's maybe not an acute um, situation. You don't think this person's going to take their life. And again, I, as you said, I mean, we don't want to, you don't play around with anybody that's, uh, you know, you don't downplay that at all. You want to be as serious as you can, but, but, but maybe it's a week later things have, but you, but there's stuff going on. You're talking about asking questions. So, and they start kind of telling you some of the things going on with their life and maybe some bad choices that they made. Um, and, uh, you know, that you're starting to hear a little bit of why they may be feeling what they feel. Are there some just practical, biblical types of help that we can give them? I mean, we really believe that the Bible has answers. Where do you go from that? If you don't know what to say, what, what do you, what would you do, Matt, or what would you help somebody do? So, so again, if if they're a Christian, yeah. there's one way I approach that. If if it's a non-unbeliever, there's another way that I yeah. approach it. Um, obviously, there are all kinds of stories in the Bible of people going through suffering. So the Scripture speaks to suffering very, very uh, clearly, very, very powerfully. Uh, one of my favorite texts, one of my favorite passages in dealing with somebody who is sorrowful, somebody who is is really struggling or really grieving um i i i like second corinthians chapter seven uh so what paul does in first corinthians is you have people living in sin paul calls them out and confronts them very sternly mm-hmm. and then in second corinthians he's following up in second corinthians seven he says this he says verse nine he says now i rejoice not that you were made sorry but that ye sorrow to repentance for you were made sorrow uh, sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us in nothing for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation to be repented of but the sorrow of the world worketh death mm. and so what what's going on is there's this suffering there's this sorrow there's these weights and if you only sorrow in the way that the world sorrows 
it brings about a death. It brings about, uh, it can bring not just physical death, but then death in relationships, death in dreams, Mm -hmm. uh, just all types of of death. I think the Bible talks uh, very broad about the picture of of death when it uses the the imagery. Paul says, you you repented in a godly way. There was a godly sorrow. And then he goes on, verse 11, he says, For behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed of after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge, and all things ye approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So here Paul writes writes this letter to these people who are in sin, confronting them, and they are sorrowful, but their sorrowfulness doesn't produce worldly sorrow that just mm-hmm. leads to depression and guilt and shame and despair. It leads to godly sorrow, which produces really this beautiful fruit of godliness. And, and that's the, the, the beauty of the gospel, the good news, is that Christ died to save sinners. You know, when, when, when he picked us, when he saved us, we weren't the pick of the litter. Right. We were, you know, as Romans 5 eight, God committed this as love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when he, when he saved us, he knew that we were a mess. And so what we what he is doing in our lives through his word and through his spirit is he is changing us and, and shaping us into his image. Man, this is so practical. I mean, the scriptures is, but it always is. But the idea that we're able to, you know, look at scripture, which describes life in very practical terms that people relate to. I wish we could talk about um, this all day. I've really go ahead. What it, well, it, it's so it's fascinating because sometimes you'll see where depression or even suicidal thoughts can be an aspect of pride, mm. where you know what. I'll, I'm going to kill myself, and that way they'll see how much they hurt me. Mm. Or I'm going to do this, and I'm going to get back at them. Or they, 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 they did something foolish and wrong and sinful and, and dumb. And, and rather than repenting, rather than saying, going back to their spouse maybe and saying, I blew it. I was wrong when I did this. Will you please forgive me? And humbling themselves. Mm. That pride gets in the way, and it's like... Oh, and they'd rather live with the guilt, live with the depression, live with the shame, live with that weight, rather than going to the cross and then going to the person and humbling themselves or going and making things right. I mean, you, you see um, there's a situation in Denver where the, the um, IRS and the FBI, the, the guy had gotten caught uh, doing some shady things, and he actually jumped out of one of the high-story buildings mm. and took his life. And, and it, it's the shame, and it's the guilt, and it's the I'm caught, and oh no, what's going to happen? And you look and say, Jesus says, I died for that. You don't have to. Mm-hmm. I'll forgive that. And so it's just the, the gospel is the answer to what man needs. And so being able to counsel people with the truth of God's word is such a such a privilege. We're excited to have you here. Um, and uh, really this conversation is just a little tip of the iceberg of some of the conversations you've been, you and I've been sharing, but, but what we're doing this weekend and trying to equip people um, with the tools and the biblical foundations, not just to be able to, I mean, the Bible talks about this idea of counsel ourselves, which really is where this foundation is. If we, if we know what God's doing in our own life and we're able to find, 
see how change, biblical change happens in our own thinking and our own actions, our own habits, then it gives us the place really to be able to help others. So yeah, man, we're excited about having you here. Um, glad to have these sessions. Um, praying for you as uh, as you minister to us and uh, and looking forward to the rest of this weekend as, as we serve God together here. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here and and uh, I hope you'll be able to come out and join us for the seminar on Friday night or Saturday, and then also come for church Sunday. I'm doing a combined Sunday school on on God's wisdom for daily living, which is just it's just so so practical. So I'm I'm looking forward to being here. Awesome, glad you're here. Well, thank you for listening to Harvest Time. If you want to find out more about our discipleship seminar and you still have time, we're starting Friday night. So go to our website, hbcguam.org, hbcguam.org. You'll see the details there on the homepage. Also, of course, want to personally invite you to services this weekend at the church. Sunday morning service is at 1030 a.m., the Mega Church Part 2 from the Book of Acts. You can stop by our Welcome Center which is in front of the auditorium if you have a question or you want directions. That's all for today. Thank you for listening to Harvest Time.